They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers here. Thank you for joining us on this first Friday of December, the first Friday of the year, because we started a new liturgical year. Our year starts with the first Sunday of Advent, and this is the first Friday of Advent. So uh, we have a new liturgical year here. We have a new um, a new life. We're supposed to uh, start again every day with a new life, but every year we have that opportunity to review the past year and then try and do better for the next year. So Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, December the 4th, and it's the first Friday of the month, so remember the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and if at all possible, you can make a a visit to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, do that, but try and spend an hour at least reading, maybe reading the account of the Passion. Every Friday, we remember the Passion, and um, Advent is a time of fasting and prayer. The spirit of Advent is a little different than the spirit of Lent because The spirit of Advent is a joyful anticipation. We are anticipating the coming of Christ. So we empty ourselves of the things of this world in order to be filled with Christ. And how do we do that? By practicing mortification, by praying more, by giving alms to the poor. So the Lenten season is more of entering into Christ's passion and entering into his suffering, whereas Advent is that time of emptying ourselves of the things of this world and our attachment to the things of this world so we can be attached to Christ. So um, thank you for all our supporters and our benefactors. We want to thank you all. We want to thank all our listeners. By the way, if you like this show, please uh, give us a thumbs up and, and share it. Share it with your friends and family and neighbors and, and coworkers and church people, whatever. Share it around. Let people know there is a Bible study, a Catholic Bible study on the radio here on Virgin Most Powerful. If you can listen every Friday at noon, if not, you can listen to the podcast. We do have podcasts. And I, we've been doing this now for a couple of years, the Bible with the Barbers on Friday. Um, well, it was on Tuesdays, but now it's on Fridays. So I want to take a look at the readings for today. Um, it's interesting. This first week of Advent, the church in her readings points us, we're always looking toward the end of time, the end of time, the second coming of Christ. Just as the Jews were waiting eagerly for a Messiah to come at his first coming, they'd been praying and waiting since the promise made by God when Adam and Eve sinned, God promised. He said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, speaking to the serpent, the devil. He said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between her seed and your seed. It will crush your head while you lie in wait for its heel. And the church understands that as the first gospel, the first good news that God is not going to leave us slaves of sin, but he's going to send a redeemer. And in this first Sunday of, I mean, this first week of Advent, we're looking toward the end time, the second coming of Christ and the promises that he makes. And we have uh, a lot of readings from the prophet Isaiah this week. Today's reading from the prophet Isaiah is Isaiah 29, 17 through 24. And in that reading, um, it talks about the fact that God will provide for his people um, and that that the deaf will hear and the words of a book and out of gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see the lowly will find joy in the Lord and the poor rejoice in the Holy one of Israel for the tyrant will be no more. And the arrogant will have gone. All who are alert to do evil will be cut off. 
those whose mere word condemns a man, who ensnare his defender at the gate, and leave the just man on an empty claim. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of the house of Jacob, who redeemed Abraham, now Jacob shall have nothing to be ashamed of, nor shall his face grow pale, when his children see the work of my hands in his midst. They shall keep my name holy. They shall revere the Holy One of Jacob and be in awe of the God of Israel. Those who err in spirit shall acquire understanding, and those who find fault shall receive instruction. The word of the Lord. That's the first reading for today. And so the Lord promised a time of redemption. Okay, and it's interesting, the Catholic Church We have the opening prayer at Mass, and what does the church have us pray for? It says, stir up your power, we pray, O Lord, and come, that you may, with, excuse me, stir up your power, we pray, O Lord, and come that with you to protect us, we may find rescue from the pressing dangers of our sins, and with you to set us free we may be found worthy of salvation who live and reign with God the Father in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. And so we ask the Lord in this prayer to free us from the pressing dangers of sin, of our sins. We're all sinners. We're all in this together. We all have to repent of our sins. And so the church is telling us that we need that the Lord is the one who frees us. He is the one who saves us. We need to accept his, his salvation, his revelation, his love for us. And then that frees us from the power of sin. And our sins do. They, they darken our intellect. They weaken our will. They make us slaves of themselves. We become slaves of sin. The more we sin, the more we become a slave of sin. And so it is the Lord who can set us free from all of this. And he does this. It's Christ himself who does this. It's Jesus Christ is the one. It's through Christ that all of this happens because the second person of the Blessed Trinity became man to redeem us from sin. And so in this reading, you know, death, disease, um, ailments of the body came because of sin. They all came into the world because of sin. And so the deaf will hear and out of um, gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. That's the promise of the Messiah, because he will remove the deafness from our ears. He will remove the blindness from our eyes. But the first blindness he removes is our spiritual blindness. He helps us to see clearly that God is the true good we were made to choose. And we want to choose him fully with all of our heart, mind, soul, and all of our strength and will, that our whole being will be oriented toward God. We will be turned toward the Lord and want to serve him at every moment of every day. And then what you have in the gospel, of course, you have the gospel from Matthew, Matthew 9, 27 through 31. And what do we have here? As Jesus passed by, two blind men followed him, crying out, Son of David, have pity on us. When he entered the house, the blind men approached him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I can do this? Yes, Lord, they said to him. Then he touched their eyes and said, Let it be done for you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the word of him throughout all the land. 
the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it's interesting because Jesus is saying, see that nobody knows about this. Well, wait a minute. Everybody who knew him knew they were blind. What's going to happen when all of a sudden now these men can see? And everybody's like, well, wait a minute. Aren't you the blind? What happened? You know, <laughs> it's like, oh, uh, <clears throat> again, the Jews at that time were expecting a military political messiah. Jesus is not a military political messiah. He's come to free us from the power of sin. And this is why his kingdom can penetrate every place, every time, every political situation, every military in the world. Because his kingdom is not about this world. His kingdom is about heaven. His kingdom, yes, we establish his kingdom on earth by keeping his commandments and treating one another with the love with which he treats us, okay? And, and in the establishment, and we should be longing and praying for his second coming. Just as the Jews were eagerly longing and praying for his first coming, we should too be praying now and longing for his second coming. And when he comes, he's not going to establish a political kingdom. But nonetheless, he does. He goes around working miracles, and those are his credentials, as it were. Those are signs of his divinity and signs also that, yes, he fulfills all the prophecies. He opens the ears of the deaf. He opens the eyes of the blind. He raises the dead. He cures the lepers, the lame walk, the, 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 the mute speak, and the gospel is preached to the poor. And this was, these were prophecies of what the Messiah would do. And Jesus is fulfilling all of this all of this. And, and you know, the liturgy of the Catholic Church is so rich. And I would encourage even our Protestant brothers to uh, read the Catechism of the Catholic Church and also to try and get what we call a daily Roman Missal, which has the daily readings that are used every single day, 365 days a year in the Catholic Church. And not just the readings, but we have at every Mass, we have like an opening antiphon, Okay, today's behold, the Lord will come descending with splendor to visit his people with peace and he will bestow on them eternal life to keep ourselves focused. As it said in the prophet Isaiah, we're looking for something beyond. We're looking for a world beyond. We're not we're not just looking for happiness in this world and we're not looking for human happiness at all per se. Happiness will come. But joy, we're looking for that joy in the Lord, that joy that actually can find itself in the midst of suffering. The saints, the martyrs were joyful in the midst of their suffering. Like in the second book of Maccabees and the, the Eleazar, 90-year-old Eleazar, when he's being martyred, he said, you know, I'm, I'm suffering great pain in my body, but I do it with great joy in my soul because he's looking forward to the resurrection. He's looking forward to being with God in heaven. And he knows by denying himself here on this earth, then he will have a place with the Lord because his heart is set on the Lord, not on the things of this earth. And so Advent is calling us to look at our lives and to make sure that we're setting our eyes on the Lord. And it's the Lord who gives us sight by taking away our sins. And when he takes away our sins, it removes the blinders from our eyes. And now we know the difference between good and evil. And since this is Advent, we want to talk in today's show about our Blessed Mother and how did she walk with the Lord. So we'll be right back. Again, thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. Please join your, have your friends and family join us. Listen in. And um, we'll be right back with more from Bible with the Barbers on this first Friday of December and the first Friday of Advent. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. Terry is babysitting our grandson right now. So um, we, I, I'm here and um, my guardian angel's with me. And again, this is the first Friday of the month of December. It's also the, the first Friday of the year, liturgical year, the new liturgical year, um, because the church starts her liturgical year on the first Sunday of Advent. So we have begun a new year. This is the first Friday of the year. And we remember the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and we um, pray in reparation for um, the, the, out, the indifference by which Jesus is offended, because Jesus is God. He is truly God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And when we ignore him, that's an offense against God. You know, the first three commandments, I am the Lord your God, is the first commandment. And thou shalt not have strange gods before me. That means God is first in our life, before anyone or anything else. And who is the perfect example of that? Well, let's see now. Of human beings who were truly human and fully human, um, Jesus was fully human, but he was also fully divine, but who were only human, the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, is the example of that. Now, I didn't make her the mother of God, and neither did the Catholic Church. God himself chose her to be his mother. And again, as I mentioned in the first section, you know, in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sin, God says, I will put enmity, he says to the devil, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Interesting. He also says, I will put enmity between her seed and your seed. So um, her seed is Christ, the Savior, the second person of the Blessed Trinity who becomes man. And, and so Our Lady, we want to know, how do we walk through this Advent? How do we uh, anticipate the coming of the Lord? The Lord is coming. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. This should be our constant cry. We should be waiting with eager longing to greet the Lord, to meet the Lord. And we should be ready, like the, you know, the, the, bride, the, the, the bridesmaids who have, you know, the, the, ten, the five wise and the, and the five foolish. Who, they, do, do we have oil in our lamps? Are we praying every day? Are we taking care of the poor? Are we um, mortifying ourselves, giving up some things of this world so that we're ready to be filled with Christ? And that's, you know, all of our bodily needs, the hunger, the thirst, those, those are all there to remind us of our spiritual need for God. So when our body is hungry, we can stop for a moment and say, you know what, Lord, I acknowledge right now my body is hungry, but you know what? My soul is yearning for you far more. So come and fill me with yourself. And when I eat this meal to, you know, I'm preparing a meal, I eat this meal to, to satisfy the hunger of my body. I ask you, Lord, to be with me and fill me with yourself. And, and so that in this moment, it's not just my body that's being nourished, but that you, Lord, will come and nourish my soul. And that whenever we do anything for the body, we can say, it's in obedience to your will, Lord, that I have a body and that I'm supposed to take good care of my body. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit and I'm supposed to take good care of it. And our Blessed Virgin Mary was a woman of prayer and she was a woman of God. She had no uh, delusions of grandeur. She was a very humble woman. And the saints and the doctors of the church, the fathers of the church tell us that it, Mary's love for God was so intense then in a sense, she drew him out of heaven to us. And there's a prayer that Catholics pray, and everybody can pray this. I, there are Protestants who pray it too. It's called the rosary. And the rosary in the form that we know it today didn't exist for the first, you know, thousand years of the church. It was given to St. Dominic in the, in the 10 hundreds. And, and so um, it, it was interesting because I knew a priest who 
as growing up as a young man and, and when he was, you know, studying in the seminary, he's a Jesuit. Um, when he was in the novitiate, growing up as a young man, he said he doesn't remember his family ever praying together. And in the novitiate, the Jesuit novices prayed the rosary together. But then when they became junior uh, seminarians and then became priests, it was up to them to pray it on their own. And he just, he never did. And and then after he was ordained, he started giving retreats to Irish nuns. And he would always, when the sisters would come in for conference, he would ask them, well, you know, how many vocations in the family, how many children in the family, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, how many vocations, at least one, if not three three, four or five. Um, was there any family prayer ever any family prayer? Oh yeah. Oh yes. Father, we prayed the rosary every day. And, and father was like, you know, it doesn't make sense to me theologically, but practically it works. And one night while he was praying the rosary, very distractedly, he wasn't meditating on the rosary. He was meditating on the fact that how many saints before St. Dominic became saints without ever praying a rosary. And he got to the thought, well, besides which our blessed mother never prayed the rosary. And he said that thought stopped him. And he mulled over that thought for about a month. He continued to pray the rosary. And at the end of that month, a thought occurred to him. She never prayed the rosary because she lived the rosary. So in the rosary, Catholics are not making the Blessed Mother a god or a goddess. We are meditating on the salvation history that God himself has prepared and worked out in time. We're trying to keep our focus on the fact that God is in charge and he can't, nothing can happen in this world that he doesn't allow. And if he allows evil, it's because he's going to bring a greater good out of it. And the only reason he allows evil to happen, you see, evil is the rejection of God. Well, he wants us to be free. He wants us to love him freely. And Mary loved him so much, so very much. And she was so humble that she drew him to herself. She made herself so little. She totally depended on God for everything. And God chose her out of all the women of all time to be his mother. This God was the one who made that choice. And Mary, hail full of grace, the Lord is with thee. The angel didn't make those words up. The angel could only be the messenger of God. Gabriel is bringing God's message. And he says to Mary, hail full of grace. And the Greek word there, kekaritomene, is not just hail full of grace. It means she who has been full of grace from the beginning is still full of grace and we remain full of grace forever. So there was no room for sin in her because she was already full of grace. And Mary walks with the Lord. She is always oriented toward God. She only wants to do his will. And when the angel comes and he gives her this message, hail full of grace, the Lord is with thee. She's troubled. She's humble. She doesn't understand why no praise should go to me. We praise God. We praise the Lord, our God. And the angel says to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God and you shall conceive in your womb and bear a son and call his name Jesus. Great will be his dignity and the Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob for years to come. And his rule will never end. And Mary's, how can this be since I know not men? Well, wait a minute, Mary, you're, in, you're, you're, you're already married. You know, do I need to explain all that to you? No, there, that, that, very, that very question by Mary indicates that she had intended to remain a virgin even within her marriage. Even within her marriage, she intended to remain a virgin. She wanted to be a servant of everyone who needed her. And in order to do that, she knew that if she had children of her own, she would have to serve them. 
And she especially knew, and Joseph knew, that it was the time of the Messiah. All the prophecies had been fulfilled. It was the time the Messiah was supposed to be coming. And she wanted to be able to serve the mother of the Messiah. And she had to, she had to let Joseph know this because Mary and Joseph had a real marriage. And Joseph agreed to this, that they would live a, a marriage that was celibate, that they would live together as husband and wife, occupying the same household, but that they would never have physical union, that conjugal union that is unique to marriage and is meant for only marriage, that they would forego that in order to serve God and to serve his Messiah. And as it turns out, that wasn't God's plan. That was Mary's plan, God's plan and Joseph's plan. But God's plan was that Mary would be the mother of the Messiah and Joseph would be the guardian of the Messiah, the guardian of the Redeemer. He would be the one who would be their safeguard, their, their protection. So when Catholics pray the rosary, we're meditating on these mysteries. We're looking at Christ, but we can do this through the heart and the eyes of Mary. Mary was the first one to carry the God-man within her. She carried Jesus in her womb for nine months. This little baby grew like a normal baby grew in her womb for nine months. And she knew who he was because the angel had told her, the son of God. The one to be born of you will be called holy, the son of God. And Mary is just, she doesn't say, oh, I'll get right to it. I'll do it. You know, whatever you say, I'm going to be busy about it. No, she says, let it be done to me. Let God do whatever he wants. And it's interesting. Bishop Sheen once made the comment. He said, you know, in our world, we have a difficulty. We have too many go-go's and not enough come-comes. We have people who want to do all kinds of activity and want to do all kinds of works for the Lord, but nobody wants to come and pray. Nobody wants to come and sit at the feet of our Lord and learn from him what is the work he wants us to do. And this is what Mary did. She sat at the feet of the Lord. She, yes, she did her daily duty. She did it perf- you know, with just absolute, utter, perfect love because she had so much love. God had given her so much love. In view of the merits of her son, we know that Mary was without sin. She never had original sin. The angel says to her, hail full of grace. You who have had grace from the beginning still have grace and will continue in grace until the end, until the end of time, till the end of eternity forever. Because God, in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, preserves Mary from sin. He preserved her from sin. He cleanses us from sin with baptism, right? We believe that. But Mary was preserved from sin. And yes, God can do this because God is outside of time. So in view of the merits of her son, he could give to her graces before her son existed in time, before Jesus Christ, before Jesus became a child in her womb. And so Mary is the mother of God and she walked with the Lord And she kept her eyes focused on him. And she teaches us to do the same. And we need a mother. We're little children. And Jesus on the cross said to John the evangelist, he said first to his mother, woman, behold thy son, referring to John the evangelist. And then he looks at John and he says, behold thy mother. And we are told by the church that John represents all of humankind. That Mary was his mother, And by the way, this is a great testimony of the fact that Jesus didn't have any blood brothers and sisters because if he did, uh, Mary would have been entrusted to them. 
She wasn't. He entrusts her to actually to all of us through John the Apostle. But John's apostles in the immediate historical context, then it was John's uh, commission from, from Jesus himself as he was dying that John would be the guardian of Mary until her death, that he would be the one who would take care of her and take her into his home. And so um, we meditate on the mysteries of salvation when we, we pray the rosary. And, and yes, we use the words, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. And then we, you know, blessed art thou among women. And then we add to that, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, the words of Elizabeth. And we add his name, Jesus. And this is a scriptural prayer. And it doesn't contradict scripture. And it doesn't put Mary on a pedestal or put her above God. It, she was the one through whom Jesus comes into the world. And so the world goes back to Jesus through her. We go back to the Father through the Son, but the Son came through Mary. And so Mary can be there as a medi mediatrix. She works in union with Jesus. She is co-redeeming in union with him. And I hear that music coming up, so we're coming to the end of this section. We're going to talk some more about the, some of the mysteries. We can't talk about all the mysteries of the rosary, but I want us to get this overview of how to look at the rosary as that approaching God and looking at the salvation history, what God has done for us and for all of mankind. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barber. Don't turn that dial. We'll be right back. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Again, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this first Friday of the year, the new liturgical year, this first Friday of December. And um, the, this day, Friday, is always dedicated to the passion of our Lord, but especially first Friday is dedicated to remembering the sacred heart of Jesus and how he loved us. Behold this heart, he said, which has so loved man and has been loved so little in return. So we need to learn to really um, love our Lord and try and respond to that love with gratitude. So we're talking about this Advent, how to walk with Mary um, using the rosary and what the rosary really is, what we're supposed to be doing, meditating on the mysteries. And remember, prayer is always a conversation with someone who loves us. And when we pray the rosary, we should be entering into conversation. Just as Mary entered into conversation with the angel, um, we should be entering into, which was a conversation with God, um, the angel as the mediator between Mary and God. And um, so he mediates God's message to her and she responds. And she's, when she responds to him, she's responding to God, but he's taking the message back to God. And so we have this uh, great mystery of all the mysteries of our redemption. And the rosary has these mysteries. And of course, John Paul II added five mysteries, the mysteries of light, which deal with the, the, the public life of our Lord, which was a beautiful addition to the rosary, expands our meditation. And um, the next mystery that I want to look at, we looked at the Annunciation, which is the first joyful mystery. And, and in this time of Advent, we are particularly anticipating the coming of Jesus. So Mary, during her pregnancy, how did she respond? What was her prayer life like? What was her life like? Um, but part of it, now we want to go to the second joyful mystery, and that is she goes to visit Elizabeth. All right, as soon as the angel tells her, um, you know, she says, how can this be since I know not man? 
And he says to her, he says, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And then he says something else. He says, and behold, your kinswoman, Elizabeth, in her old age, in her old age, has conceived a son. This is now the sixth month with her who was thought to be barren. For nothing is impossible to God. And Mary said, behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to thy word. And the angel departs. And what happens? Um, Mary makes in haste into the hill country of Judea. Now, it's interesting that the Gospel of Luke has more information about the Blessed Virgin Mary, more focus on the Blessed Virgin Mary than any of the other Gospels. All right. And most of it's right here in the first couple of chapters of the, the Gospel of Luke. But it's interesting about this particular passage. You see, this visit of Mary to Elizabeth harkens back to some old to an Old Testament reality, okay? The early fathers of the church had a name for Mary, and that'll come out in this as we're speaking. Okay. Mary goes to the she goes, she makes in haste into the hill country of Judea. And what's interesting about this is Luke is drawing on the words that he uses to um, relate this incident is drawing on the words that were used from 2 Samuel. And he's intentionally setting up a subtle but significant parallel between Mary's visitation with Elizabeth and David's effort to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, narrated in 2 Samuel 6. When Luke tells us that Mary arose and went into the Judean hill country to visit her kinswoman, Luke 1.39, he reminds us of how David arose and went into the same region centuries earlier to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant, 2 Samuel 6, 2. Upon Mary's arrival, Elizabeth is struck by the same sense of awe and unworthiness in the presence of Mary. What does she say? Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Luke 1, 43 but David was also felt that same sense standing before the Ark of the Covenant in 2 Samuel 6, 9. And the parallel continues as the joy surrounding this great encounter causes the infant John to leap in his mother's womb. One, Luke 1, 41. Luke chapter 1, verse 41. <laughs> okay. Much as David danced with abandon. Remember David danced with abandon before the Ark of the Covenant in 2 Samuel 6, 16? And finally, Luke adds that Mary stayed in the house of Zechariah for three months. What's interesting, Luke 1, 40 and 56, um, this recalls how the, how the Ark of the Covenant, once David found it in the hill country of Judea, temporarily he leaves it stationed in the house of Obed-Edom for three months, 2 Samuel 6, 11. So what, what the fathers of the church said is they said, Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant. Remember the Ark of the Old Covenant? It carried the tablets with the Ten Commandments, the manna, and the staff of Aaron, representing the presence of God. And, and, and the Shekinah, the glory cloud, the presence of God would descend upon the Ark and, 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 and on the Holy of Holies when the people were traveling. And when it descended, the people would stay. And then they would move on when the cloud lifted. And then when the temple was built in, in um, Jerusalem, then the ark was given a permanent place to reside. And the Shekinah came and filled the temple. 
And so this is the, the old ark represented the presence of God among his people. Well, now Mary is carrying Emmanuel, God with us in her womb. And so the fathers of the church saw her as the ark of the new covenant. So you have the ark of the old covenant. It turns out the ark of the old covenant was a prefigurement of the ark of the new covenant, who is Mary. Mary is the one who carries Jesus in her womb. She is the one who carries the presence of the Messiah among his people as she is carrying Jesus in her womb and he's growing in her womb. And so she was the Ark of the New Covenant. And there's a second traditional in the book of Chronicles, and that brings um, uh, the terms shown up in Luke 1, in Luke 1, 42, where Elizabeth bursts out with the exuberant cry at the arrival of Mary and her child, um, exclaimed, Elizabeth exclaimed, it seems ordinary enough, but it's hardly ever used in the Bible. In fact, it is only found here in the New Testament in this particular passage in Luke 1 verse 42 and it's found in the old testament but it always is found i think it's five times they say here but it's found in stories surrounding the ark of the covenant so the kind of excitement that elizabeth has is not it's not a human excitement like you would have at a party or a great it's the excitement at the presence of the lord that the lord is here in our midst and that's when, and it refers to the melodical sounds, song, I'm sorry, <laughs> melodical sounds made by Levitical singers and the musicians when they glorify the Lord in song. It thus describes the exalting voice of the instruments that were played before the ark as David carried it in procession in Jerusalem. And as, as again, as Solomon transferred the ark to its final resting place in the temple of Solomon. And so Mary is, de there, there's a clear allusion here that Mary and the Ark of the Covenant, that the Ark of the Old Covenant was a prefigurement of the Ark of the New Covenant. And that Ark of the New Covenant is Mary. And it's so beautiful. You know, Mary comes to Elizabeth and Elizabeth says, you know, Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting. The baby leaps in her womb. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And of course, Elizabeth exclaims, but who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For the moment your greeting sounded in my ears, the infant in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she for her firm believing that the promises to the Lord to her would be fulfilled. And how does Mary respond? You know, oh yeah, I'm such a wonderful person, aren't I? God chose me to be his mother and isn't it awesome? You know, and I'm coming here to help you and isn't that so sweet of me? No, immediately, and this is what Mary always does. She always wants to orient us toward God. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit exalts in God, my savior, because he has regarded the lowly estate of his handmaid for, for behold, from henceforth, all generations will call me blessed for he that is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown strength in his arm. He has scattered the proud of heart. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and has exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has come to the help of Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his posterity forever. You know what's really beautiful about this, brothers and sisters in Christ? You see, 
all of us can borrow this hymn of joy that God chooses to dwell in us. When we were baptized, or when we invite the Lord into our hearts, the Lord, in, in baptism specifically, and we know this, this is Jesus established baptism, go and preach the gospel to all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And when, we, when this happens, God comes to dwell in us. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Most Holy Trinity, comes to share with us their own life their own inner Trinitarian life. We are drawn into the Trinity and they share with us their life so that they give themselves freely to us and all they ask in return is that we give ourselves back to them freely. And as Catholics, we believe what Jesus said in John 6, that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. And we also believe what he said at the Last Supper when he said, this is my body over the the bread and this is the chalice of my blood over the chalice of wine, that the bread and wine are actually transformed. They change. They're completely changed. They are no longer, the substance of bread and wine no longer exist. It is now the substance of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he gives us himself as food to eat. And how beautiful. We should be so grateful. I mean, you know, the Lord came and lived in the Blessed Mother for nine months in her womb, We can receive Jesus in Holy Communion every single day. And we should maybe use Mary's song. Say, Blessed Mother, when I go to Holy Communion, would you pray with me and help me to pray this hymn of praise, to remember that everything is a gift from God. And in this moment, yeah, my soul should glorify the Lord and my spirit should rejoice in God my Savior. And you know what? I hear that music again. It just seems like there's never enough time to say what I want to say. (laughs) Maybe I'm saying too much. (laughs) I hope you appreciate this and enjoy it. I hope it helps you in your spiritual life. And I hope it helps you to grow in your love for Scripture, the Word of God. We'll be back after this quick break. Thank you for joining us on Virgin Most Powerful Radio, the Bible with the Bible. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. Again, Terry is babysitting our grandson while I do this show today. And um, here it is. We're, we're, we're three quarters of the way through the show. In the last half hour, we've only meditated on two mysteries of the rosary so far. <laughs> the Annunciation and the Visitation. So um, maybe, maybe we could do a, a series on the rosary where we meditate on every mystery to help us. I hope it helps you to... Pray more deeply when you pray. Ask the Lord really every day. You know, faith is a gift. If you want more faith, ask for it. Lord, I believe in you. Increase my faith. My God, I hope in you. Increase my hope. I trust you. Strengthen my trust. My God, I love you. Let me love you more and more. Lend me your love, oh my God, with which to love you, that you may be loved as you deserve, St. Therese of Lezu prayed. And she also prayed, Jesus, lend me your heart with which to love my neighbor, that I may love my neighbor as you commanded. So again, when we pray the rosary, we're not exalting Mary as if she were a goddess. We're trying to look at like this priest who realized the priest that I talked about in the beginning, the Jesuit, Mary lived the rosary. Her whole life was a meditation on the salvific works of God that he was accomplishing in his son. 
and she was his instrument. That's all she was. And, and that's, that's incredible because she was a faithful instrument. We're all his instruments, but how many of us are as faithful as Mary? You know, none of us. Only Mary was as faithful as Mary, and that was God's grace to her, and she responded fully. So we ask to respond to the grace he gives, and we want to meditate on the mysteries of our salvation. You know, we live in a world that's broken because of sin. People say, well, how could a good God make evil? How could a good God allow this evil to go on? God didn't make evil. God didn't make sin. God didn't make abortion and murder and rape and all the other horrible crimes, lying, cheating, stealing, um, defrauding the labor of his wage, you know, uh, oppressing the, the resident alien, all of these things. God didn't make sin. We sinned against God. Adam and Eve were tempted to want to be like God and to decide for themselves what was good and evil. And they gave in to that temptation. You see, Mary never gave in to that temptation. And that's what we ask for the grace that we don't give into it. So when Mary comes to Elizabeth and she prays this beautiful hymn of praise of God, all of us can pray this hymn. And especially when we receive Holy Communion, you know, she goes on to say, for God who is mighty has done great things to me and holy is his name. Doesn't God who is, isn't God who is mighty do great, doesn't he do good things for us? Great things for us. Didn't he give us his life and baptism, a share in his life? Doesn't he give us himself in Holy Communion? Doesn't he forgive our sins in the sacrament of confession? Doesn't he give us the fullness of his Holy Spirit in the sacrament of confirmation so that we can then bring Christ to the world by the power of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit can recreate in us the image of Christ so that we become living images of Christ in the world? This is why we meditate on the rosary. This is the purpose of the rosary, is to make us look like Christ. I remember as a young woman, my brother really liked Elvis Presley and his singing. And then I remember the, the day that he died, because he died the day that I got my pilot's license. <laughs> I got my private pilot's license years ago. And um, he died that day. And there was a young man who was on the radio afterwards, and he sounded very much like Elvis Presley. And, and he said there was some narrative, you know, about, oh, I think the song was The King is Gone. The King is Gone. Long live his name. I think it was. And he was talking about Elvis, you know, the king of rock and roll, whatever. And he talked in the beginning of the song. He does a little dialogue where he talks about, you know, I, I listened to his records and I practiced and practiced. And I was just hoping that someday someone would say to me, you sound just like him. Christians, have we ever thought about this? Let's apply this. It's not the king of rock and roll that we want to sound just like. We want to sound just like Jesus Christ, the king of the universe. Not only just sound like him, we want to look like him. Mother Teresa of Calcutta pick, picked up the poor out of the streets and she served them. And she was picking up the dying. You know, people used to tell her, Mother, you know, feed, it, what is it? Give a man a fish he can eat for a day. Teach a man to fish he can live for a lifetime. And she said, well, you fine. You go teach men how to fish. I'm picking up the dying. I will give them their food for the day. I just want them to know that they're loved by God before they die so that they can die in the presence of God's love and in his love. And so um, mother had, um, she, she, this one woman she had picked up and she, she would say, well, Bishop Sheen had asked mother, excuse me, I'll back up on the story. Bishop Sheen had met mother in an airport and he said, mother, you've evangelized, this was before she was famous. You've evangelized 15,000 people what do you say to them? And she said, oh, I don't say anything. I, I love them. 
But I do ask them a question after I've loved them. I, you know, pick them up. I take care of them. I wash them up. I clean them. I tell them they're loved. They're beautiful. And I take care of them. And then I say, do you want to know Jesus? And they look at me and they say, oh, mother, is he anything like you? And mother would laugh and say, oh, no, 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 no. But I do try to be like him. And she said, then the people would look at me and say, mother, we want to know Jesus. Because they experienced such love coming from her, if she was only following someone else's example, then they wanted to know the source. And that's it. The love that we have as Christians, it comes from Jesus Christ and it flows from us through us to others by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to be like him. Wouldn't it be wonderful if someone came up to you one day and said, you know, you look just like Jesus. You sound just like Jesus. And so we want to meditate on the rosary. And this is why we meditate on the rosary. We meditate on the rosary so that we might imitate what the mysteries contain and obtain what they promise. Yes, we want to obtain the promise because God wants us with him in heaven. That's his promise that we'll be with him in heaven if we're faithful to the end. So we want to obtain that. That's God's desire. And we want him to fulfill his desire in our regard. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be living images of Jesus. And so we pray the rosary in order to be looking at Jesus day in and day out. And yes, looking at him through the eyes and the heart of our Blessed Virgin Mary, loving Jesus with the heart of Mary. Mary loved him. There was no human being who loved Jesus more than Mary did. None. She was his mother. And she goes with him to the foot of the cross. Are there going to be dark times in life? Oh, yes, there will be. She knew he was God. She knew he was the Messiah. The angel told her so. And Elizabeth confirmed it. And it was confirmed by his miracles and his whole life. She knew who he was. And yet, at the foot of the cross, she doesn't condemn the Romans. She doesn't condemn the Jews. She doesn't condemn us sinners. By the way, it wasn't the Jews who killed God. Yeah, deicide, the greatest crime ever committed in the history of mankind. Deicide. But it wasn't any one group of people who committed deicide. The Romans crucified him at the behest of some of the, some of the leaders of the Jewish people at the time because they rejected him as their Messiah. But it wasn't the Jews who killed him. And it wasn't just the Romans who killed him. It was our sins. He died to show us how much he loved us, to redeem us from the slavery of sin. You know, we live in a time of great fear. And, and in, in the book of Hebrews, we're told that to children remain slaves through their fear of death their whole life long. Are we going back into this fear we can't go into our churches because we're afraid we might die. We can't visit our family at Thanksgiving because we're afraid they might die. We can't visit our dying or the ill or the sick or the, the, the people in the hospital because we're afraid they might die. Or we're afraid me might die. Well, wait a minute. Jesus freed him from the fear of death. He freed us from the fear of death. Mary stood at the foot of the cross with our Lord. She was more than willing to go to be crucified with him. She would definitely be identified with him. And John was able to stand with her because he stood at her side. He was the only apostle who stuck through, stuck through to the end with Jesus onto Calvary because he went and got Mary. Mary, his mother, 
And so she shows us how to stay with Jesus in good times, in times of joy, in the times of his miracle, the time that he was proclaimed as king, you know, Hosanna to the king of David. Hosanna is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. And then those some people are crying out five days later, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And every crucify him is tearing at her heart. But she never becomes bitter. She never feels sorry for herself. She never gives up her trust in the father and his plan and the knowledge that her son is only doing the will of his father and her perfect trust, her perfect faith, her perfect charity. And she accepts us. Jesus gives her to us as a mother at the foot of the cross. She's there in that darkness, in that confusion, when all of his, most of his other followers, there were some women there. It's always the women who stick by him. (laughs) The men are all running off and hiding, except John who stuck with Mary. And so don't run and hide from the suffering. Know that the suffering has purpose and meaning. And I know there are some people, so many people are suffering. We We aren't living through a pandemic in terms of a virus. We're living through a pandemic of fear, a pandemic. The lockdown is the pandemic that we're living through, a pandemic of isolation where the sick are dying without someone there at their side to pray. Send the angels out to pray with them. Beg God to move the bishops to go to the hospitals with their priests and say, no, we are going to administer the sacraments to all of the dying who are are Catholic. And we will pray with anyone who is dying. somebody said to me this week, they said, well, do the numbers. You know, there are 330 million people in the United States of America. 10% people would be 33 million. 1% would be 3,300,000. One-tenth of one, uh, one-tenth of 1% would be 330,000. One-tenth of 1%. And that, not that many people have even died of COVID. As a matter of fact, the World Health Organization and the, 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 the um, what do you call it, the CDC, uh, Center for Disease Control, have both admitted that the number of reported COVID deaths does not actually represent the people of, uh, number of people who died of COVID. The actual number is about 10%, maybe 11% of the reported death number. Why are we afraid? What are we afraid of? We're supposed to live in the freedom of the children of God. Pray the rosary. And I would ask Protestants to pray it too. And when you pray it, take your scriptures out and look up the mysteries and read the meditations for the mysteries. Again, in this hour, we've only done two mysteries (laughs) and a little bit of the crucifixion. But there's so much. The word of God is living and effective. Lord God, may your word be living and effective in our lives. Help us to meditate on all your salvific works that you have done for us and all the glory that you have prepared for us so that we would be able to bear the sufferings of the present moment, which are nothing in comparison to the glory that you want to reveal to us. Thank you so much for listening to Bible with the Barbers. If you can donate, call 877-526-2151. Like the show, share it, invite your friends and family to listen and everyone you know. And I do have a Bible study on Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at the Sacred Heart Chapel here in Covina for anyone who's local. Thank you, and I hope to be here again next Friday on Bible with the Barbers for more.